the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Last week we ended with Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And we're going to kind of start there today. And as I mentioned before, Paul's been writing to this group of believers about their need to love one another, to accept one another, to accept one another in regards to where they're at in their spiritual maturity. And we are commanded as believers to love one another, to recognize our union in Christ, to recognize that we are one. There's a unity in the Spirit of God. There's a unity in the body of Christ that we are to put first in our recognition of one another. Now this comes back to Christ as our life. Because now Christ as my life literally means that you are part of that life. That's what it means. Because you're part of the body of Christ. And what Paul is emphasizing, even Christ himself emphasized, is this expression of love and union between one another that affirms the truth that we are one in Christ. That we share the same life. As I said last week, it is literally put before us more in the Word of God, in the New Covenant... It's put before us and reiterated over and over again more often than evangelism. That's how important it is. More often than giving. More often than any of the other things that we as church-going people hold sacred. It is that important. Why is it so important? Because of what it creates and what it affirms in us. You know, when we get to heaven, that union, that sharing of life will be a reality. That spiritual intimacy will be a reality. We will enter into the fullness of the truth of the life that we share. But now, we embrace it by faith. Why? Because we have a separation. This flesh is our separation. First John chapter 5, verse 1 says... Everyone who believes, adheres to, trusts, and relies on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is born again, a born-again child of God. And everyone who loves the Father also 
loves the one born of him, his offspring. You know, in every child there are stages of development. And there are stages of development for the child of God. And this stage is fundamental to our growth. It is where we begin that departure from self-centered living to Christ-centered living. It is the first evidence of the new life within us. It is necessary practice because the hardest dynamic that is part of this flesh to break is to live selfless. If we are oriented to be self-centered, then what we believe is self-centered. Everything that we practice, we practice out of self-centeredness. And therefore it is not practiced out of faith. And it is not true obedience. It becomes man-centered. It becomes religious. But God has called us to a spiritual life where we express the truth of our union towards one another. My wife and I were talking about this earlier. You know that the reality that most of what is written in the epistles, in the, not in the gospels, but in the epistles concerning loving one another, helping one another, charity towards one another, is written from believer to believer. That's where it's supposed to come from. From believer to believer. Now that's not talking about the need for flesh to flesh. That's talking about that spiritual union, the ministry of Christ in each one of us. I'm not speaking about necessarily about finances or money. I'm speaking about that union that we have in Christ. The love that we have in Christ. This is the fundamental beginning step. It is the baby step of faith that every believer enters into. And here's the thing, guys. Most churches, when you have a brand new believer, they're encouraged but they're encouraged to get into the work. They're encouraged to do. They're not just encouraged in love. I want to tell you something. When a baby is born, and you mothers know more about this than I do, how, ma how many chores do you assign them? Yeah, I mean, is the first responsibility for a newborn is to keep the room clean? How much do you assign them to do? No, you're about demonstrating to that little one that they are loved that they are cared for. What you're showing them is that you are, as a parent, are going to be responsible and love them. Now God wants that same expression concerning Himself to new believers when they come into the church. They need to understand, number one, we're not life to them, nor do we take them to raise per se, but that we will love them, that we will support them. That we will come alongside of them and grow them in truth. Help them grow in truth. It's very important in God's mind that we allow the Spirit of God to express His heart towards one another. Not just for the person we're expressing it towards, but for ourselves. For the affirming of truth within us. It is an exercise that is not to be neglected if we're to know the love of God experientially. Now, as I said last week, this is something flesh can't do. It's a spiritual exercise. It can only be expressed through your union life. If you believe that you don't have the capacity to love and minister to a fellow Christian, then you're assessing your abilities from the flesh, 
you're not seeing yourself as the way God in the way God does. There is a communion that we are to participate in as children of God. A communion that has to do with each little fellowship and each body of believers that gathers. And this communion I'm talking about is not just the ordinance. It is a sharing of His life. It is the sharing of, of who He is with one another. 1 Corinthians 10.17 says, For we, no matter how numerous we are, are one body, because we all partake of the one bread, the one whom the communion bread represents. So, when I share with you, what is it I want to share? I want to share the communion bread. That is, His life. That's what I want you to partake of. And when you commune with me, or share with me, I want you to share His life. Do you see how we are affirmed in that exchange? This is the love of God being expressed through your spirit-filled souls to one another. It is to be ministry, it is to be healing, it is to be affirming, it is to be cleansing, and it is essential both to you and the one you're expressing it towards. In verse 13 of this chapter, Paul gives a benediction. That's where we ended up last week. A prayer, a blessing to the Romans as he commands them to heal the fracture or the separation that took place within their church because of of the weakness and and the supposed strength of of each other. And if uh, you weren't here... So we went through that. We're talking about the believers who allowed themselves the privilege of eating meat sacrificed to to idols and the ones on the other side of the aisle that couldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols because of where they'd been. And he tells them, he says, "You you need to be considerate of those that are weaker in the body and you need to lift them up. It's not, it's not essential that you exercise your right in these things. Verse 13 says, May the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace in believing that through the experience of your faith, that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and be overflowing, bubbling over with hope. Now I love this verse because it tells you exactly what the Lord desires you to be filled with. And it's the source of that filling is already in you. For joy and peace. It is the fruit of the Spirit that you're being filled with. You were, you know, you were made to be filled. The soul of man was literally created to be filled. And God wants to fill it with His life, with the Spirit of God. The soul being that point of expression. And Paul says, this is how you are to minister Christ. This is how you are to uh, manifest Christ. Allow your life, your soul, mind, will, and emotion to be filled with me. And I will fill it with peace, love, joy, all of the fruits of the Spirit. These things will be expressed through you at their proper time. I'm not talking about emotions. I'm not talking about emotions. You know, we were talking last week, and one of the things that came up is that, you know what, I want the peace of God. I want the peace of God. But the question is, what does the peace of God look like? And most people would ask, what does it feel like? Well, the peace of God is not something you want, it's something you have. 
as a child of God. Do you recognize that? It's not something you want. It's not something you ask God for. Peace is something you have by virtue of the presence and the life of Christ within you. Now, this is what we go into when we recognize who we are in Christ. When we say, Christ is my life, then I know that as Christ is my life, I have peace, I have love, I have joy, I have faithfulness, I have all the things that God lists as fruit of the Spirit. So in each case, when I am in a position where I feel that I need those things, I don't ask God for them, I reckon upon the fact that they are mine. That's the work of faith. Faith is not feeling it and then believing it, is it? Is that faith? And many people ask God for peace in the midst of a bad situation, and if they don't feel it, they feel like God's not answering their prayer. Listen, God has already given you everything in Christ Jesus. It's all yours. We don't have to beg for it. It came as part of who we are. So when I say that Christ is my life, I say that I have peace, I have joy, I have hope, I have faithfulness, I have everything that's in Christ in me. By faith, I'll embrace it. Many of us have said, you know what? I'm in a tough spot. Things aren't going the way I'd like. My life isn't going the way I want it to go. And I can't find rest and I can't find peace. You haven't looked within. It's not an emotion. It's a person. And you have it in Christ. And the enemy will do everything he can do. Trust me, he will do everything he can do to keep you from entering into truth of that. Because when you enter into the truth of that, you begin to live like Paul lived. And there's nothing that can deter you. There's nothing that can take life from you. You can enter into every circumstance with confidence. I know, standing right here, right now, in front of you, I have the peace of God. I have the presence of God. I have the love of God. I have the joy of God. I have long-suffering. I have all the things that God has declared are mine in Christ Jesus. I didn't ask for them. They came in His life. And I will hold them by faith. You see, one of the things that's neat about this life for the Christian is that we are discovering by faith what we already have. And when we get to heaven, faith is going to become sight. And we're going to say, wow, I had all of that. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians are going to go, you know, I spent all that time begging for that. And I had it the whole time. It reminds me of myself looking for my glasses when they're on top of my head or something. It's the same kind of thing. Let's look at verse 14. It says, personally, I'm satisfied about you, my brethren, that you yourselves are rich in goodness, amply filled with all spiritual knowledge, and competent to admonish and counsel and instruct one another also. Again, Paul's just commanded them to accept one another, to love one another, to receive one another according to their spiritual identity. Now, only believers can accept believers in that way. This is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit wherein we recognize everybody's place in the body. And Paul is saying, I know that you're equipped for this. For what I have asked you to do, I know you are equipped for this. 
Now, I've said this before, isn't that really cool? That according to the new covenant, everything that God asks of us, He's already empowered us by virtue of His life to complete. And I know this, I am perfectly suited for the plan of God. How about you? I am perfectly suited for the plan of God. I don't have to worry about what I need to know. I don't have to worry about what I have to do. I don't have to worry about all those things. What I have to do is walk in obedience with the guidance of the Spirit and trust that what I need, He will equip me to do when I get there. I guarantee you, that is the liberty that Christ gave you through His life. So when I say I have Christ as my life, I say that I am in the plan of God and nothing's going to move me out of it. Not even me. And when I say I have Christ as my life, I say that I'm fully equipped for all that He wants to do through me and nothing will change that. Not even me. And when I say I have Christ as my life, I know that that little verse that says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, is not just a refrigerator magnet. It's the truth of who I am. Isn't that cool? You excited about that? Well, I am. Or I wouldn't be up here. Paul is saying, I know you're equipped for this. Well, why? How? Well, because you're in Christ. Because you're sharing his life. Paul's confident concerning these believers because he is reckoning upon their union life. Now, he gives testimony to the fact that they had been expressing the fruit of the Spirit and showing a growing intimate knowledge of truth. And Paul is confident that they're equipped to do that. He's confident not only in the fact that they're equipped to do this, he's confident in the fact that they will do it because they've done it before. They were competent to practice the truth. They were living it out. Colossians 3.16, Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word spoken by Christ, the Messiah, have its home in your hearts and minds and dwell in you in all its richness as you teach and admonish and train one another in all insight and intelligence and wisdom in spiritual things. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to God with His grace in your hearts. Don't read that and think about what you should be doing or how you should be doing it or whether or not you are empowered to do that. Read that and say, that is who I am. That is the truth of me. When you sit out there and sing, you may not think much of your voice, and many around you may not either. But the reality of it is that you have been spiritually empowered to lift up holy praise and thanksgiving unto Him. And it is your privilege to enter into it. That's why we encourage you to sing. It's a privilege. It is literally a privilege of worship to enter into the work, the praise, the the teaching, the discipling, the ministry of Christ. And if you put all of this in its proper perspective, again, it's like the child. It's like you and the kid learning the walk. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing with you. Oh yeah, you fall. So what? Get up. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Listen, 
We can go out there with confidence because it doesn't matter what the government does. It doesn't matter what the neighbor does. It doesn't matter what, what this world brings to us. All the while, when we're walking in the midst of who knows what, the Spirit of God has literally empowered us and He's standing before us. He's standing behind us. He's standing within us and He's saying, come on, come on, don't worry about that. Come on, come on, don't go on. That's how you're made. Live in the confidence of it. Despair is always reckoning upon the flesh, never upon the Spirit. Hopelessness is always in the flesh. It's never in the Spirit. When you complain, it's generally because your flesh isn't making the grade. i got to tell you, you got a lot to complain about if you're going to sit there. you got a lot. Alright. They were pointing to Christ's life by living out Christ's life. And you really, that's that's... That is the mutual training that should be ongoing. It's natural. I expand into truth as I walk in the truth. And then it becomes a testimony of praise that I bring fellow believers into. You know, the greatest message in ministry we have is that life within us. Romans fifteen fifteen, verse 15 of chapter 15. Paul's writing, he says, Still on some points I have written to you the more boldly and unreservedly by way of reminder. I've done so because of the grace, the unmerited favor bestowed on me by God. Now here's a church, this is interesting, here's a church that Paul says he's satisfied with their level of spiritual knowledge and goodness and that they're able to instruct one another, but he needs to remind them. Well, I wouldn't think they would need to be reminded, would you? Yes. Well, how would I know that? Because I need it. We all need it. We all need to be renewed, refreshed, and reminded in truth. How often? How about every moment? You know, I've used this uh, illustration before, but it, it, it keeps coming back to me, so you're going to hear it again. We used to go to the beach every year to take the whole family to the beach. And one of the things we did when we got to the beach is we would say, okay, everybody, you see this point. This is your fixed point. Keep your eyes on that point. Why do we do that? Because once you get in the water, you're being pulled. You don't recognize you're being pulled. You're having a good time, laughing, playing. Particularly if you're Ian, you're just all over the place. And it, and and before you know it, you look up, and the fixed point that was in front of you is now way over there. Now listen, a fixed point doesn't keep you from drifting. It doesn't keep you from being pulled by the world. You go out there, you're going to get pulled. You're living on this planet, you're being pulled. That is a fact, okay? A fixed point doesn't change that. But what a fixed point will do is it will give you a place to determine to return to by faith. By faith. I will not live apart from truth. And that fixed point for us is Jesus. Now Jesus obviously doesn't drift away from us. But in the experiential world of living life, we drift emotionally. We are pulled in the way we think, in the way we act. We become more and more fleshy. More and more self-centered. Why? Because everybody's doing it. You know, it, uh, when I was a kid, 
my parents would always, well, not always, but just about every other summer or so, they would send me to South Carolina, and I'd be down there for several weeks. And I'd be down there, and I wasn't down there any time at all before I started talking like them. I mean, it wasn't, it was nothing for me. Because when I came back, everything I said sounded like I lived and I was raised in South Carolina. Why is that? Well, because everybody down there talked like that. Now, you see, I can drift into that real easy even now. But the issue is not that, that I was raised in South Carolina, because I wasn't. It was because of everything I was hearing around me constantly. Every reference had that accent. Everything that we did was, was instructed through that accent. So I started adopting it as my own. I didn't intend to, but I did. Listen, that's the way the world works. Radio, television, internet, friends, even Christian friends. We talk to each other in worldly terms a good bit of the time. We point each other to distractions of the world many times, don't we? We connect in our affinity groups having to do with the flesh and who's better at this and who's better at that. And that becomes our reality and we are drifting. And we all do it. You need to be reminded. Now some people might say that I come into the pulpit and I say virtually the same thing Saturday after Saturday. But you know what? The epistles do the same thing. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship, but we need to let you know that we have moved. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m., and our new location is 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.